G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Hunting Connection podcast. Today's guest is Lana from Hey Sucker and Skulls. Welcome. Hey, Zach. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. We'll jump straight into the questions. Where are you from? No Thanks for having me. Oh, oh well, I'm from Sydney and Sydney? it's pouring down at the moment. Yeah, yeah. We were trying to work out what the background noise was before and I came to the yep. conclusion it must be the rain in the background. So for yep, if you're hearing it. that when the podcast is live, I couldn't work out how to get that out. So <laughs> <laughs> how all learning, it, all learning. Yeah, exactly. It's um definitely a process having to change all the different apps and stuff when they change all their terms and conditions like Zoom's gone from like 40 minute free free call uh, like hours free calls to 40 minute free calls so I've had to change wow. change the yeah. one I'm using um how old are you oh I just turned 30 back in March oldie nah, jokes <laughs> yeah I know I know I'm old you know you know me I hate getting older <laughs> Uh, it's not too bad. I'm yet to reach the big three oh yet. So if I make it that far. <laughs> you will. You will. Got, so, you got a lot of hunting ahead of you. <laughs> yes, yes. So what do you do for work? Uh so currently I'm a licensed taxidermist. I specialize primarily in entomology, so insects. Um but yeah, that's my my main my main job. But I also do dog grooming as well. I'm a professional dog groomer, so I've just started picking that up again once a week with a friend and helping her out, and you know, just um, getting a feel for something I love um, again. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Everything to do with animals. Yeah, I was just about to say that everything you do is evolves around animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did you get into entomology, taxidermy, and nature <laughs> preservation? You did, you did good, entomology, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, look, it's funny because I've always worked in, in animal care in, you know, commercial, um, you know, pet, pet food sales, things like that, dog grooming, um, you know, all that good stuff to keep our household pets healthy and happy. Um, <laughs> um, and it sort of just stemmed from there. I just didn't – I never had much of an interest in insects specifically. I used to be scared of moths. <laughs> Um, no, whereas that's, now that's that I've learned thing. so much, I love them. I love them. I run towards them. They run away from me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It was sort of just like a curiosity, I guess. Like I've always been interested in, um, all sorts of animals and whatever creatures are on our earth, but I never thought I'd, um, end up this sort of deep into it, I guess. But yeah, it was just that curiosity and fascination with all the different animals and different types of, um, things we have. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah, your works works awesome, and you did you deal with a lot of moths. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> Speaking of moths and rain, before do you guys get the big rain moths where you are? No, they're they're a lot more tropical. So it's like Brisbane, um, where it's a bit warmer. There's actually the largest moth on Earth is in Brisbane. Um, 
the Hercules moth. And I believe there is another one. I can't remember the name right now. But, um, yeah, we actually have one of the largest in the world in Brisbane, which is really cool. When we have But, our- no, here we just get small ones, little ones, you know, nothing really too, um, too exciting. <laughs> yeah, it just crossed my mind because down here we get the um, massive rain moths. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it just crossed my mind that I haven't actually seen you do anything with them yet. I'm like, I was, I was thinking if you got them like we no. do, that'd be um, an awesome thing to work with because they're huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I do get um, same family. Um, I get the Atlas moth, which is the same family as what we've got here. Um, they're like the third or fourth largest in the world. So I do get them, um, but I'm, I don't actually work on Australian species. So that's a bit of a different, whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet there's always... Yeah the laws and stuff with our native native stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of which, how do you acquire the insects you work with being from overseas? Okay, so uh, yeah, well, see, a lot of people sort of have this idea that I go out and catch them myself. And honestly, if I saw those the types of insects that I do acquire in the wild, I would absolutely not go near them because I wouldn't want to – jeopardize their health you know what I mean I would stay away but yeah so I um I actually acquire all my insects from a man in Italy primarily um unless of course it's a species that is um you know they're bred in an entirely different country but generally so this man he's an entomologist he's um an environmental scientist and he breeds everything not for um how do I how do I explain it so they're not farm bred insects so you know you obviously know about farm-bred dogs and, you know, mass-bred dogs, mass-produced, all that sort of stuff. Um, That's not what this is. He actually studies them to better, you know, understand their needs in the wild and, you know, he works on species that have had devastation due to land development and things like that. So he is actually studying them and, you know, trying to learn more about them and what we can do to to, um, conserve them and help them survive a bit longer. So, yeah, that's, that's generally where I get all of them from and it can take six months it can take a year sometimes depending on what you know he's working on at the time it really is sort of just a mystery what i'm gonna get and that's what's what i love about it too you just never know yeah that's crazy um what type of species are you do you acquire from him um i well i get a lot of moths obviously so um i guess the fancy name is lepidopteras um and basically they're just big chubby fluffy they got massive antlers um so, like, you know, you've seen Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Yep. So, the Death's Head Hawk Moth, um, yep. Acheronteia atropos, is the exact one that I get. And that's probably one of my most um, sort of sought-after specimens. They're just absolutely beautiful. And the awesome thing about them is I actually get to see them alive. So, he'll send me videos and, you know, of them crawling up his arms and things like that. And it's just incredible. And, <laughs> you know, it's something we'd never see here. So, it's really amazing to sort of have the opportunity to – to see all that stuff. But, yeah, so the Silence of the Lambs moth, um, those type of ones, big, fluffy, colourful. I love them all. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to send some photos through and I'll post them up and take them off your, yeah, for your, sure. your Insta. Um, what type of enclosures does he um, breed them in and keep them in? And... Uh, so he, I think he's recently moved locations. So they're, I think, smack bang in winter right now. It's, it's really difficult to sort of... Um, keep certain species breeding throughout this sort of climate but he has his own 
it's almost like a tropical, like an oasis, all different things, you, you know, just if you can think of like when people go fruit picking, there's all the big, you know, the netting and everything sort of nicely enclosed with all the trees. It's beautiful. It's sort of like that, if you can think of like that. Um, it's just a nice, yeah, just a big like oasis. That's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> <laughs> so is that If you like hated a- moss, if you hate moss, it'd be hell in there, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I know a few people that are that are shit scared Me of moths. I do. Yeah, they I run know. the so other way. Like, yeah, few. Probably <laughs> name five right now that are just terrified of them. So that would just be hell. Yeah. <laughs> so is it like an indoor enclosure or like in a shed? No, sorry. Like I believe outdoor? he's got. It's sort of like he's got outdoor until they get to a certain age, things like that. Like some are bred inside until they're ready to you know, until they're ready to emerge and then they go out and they feed and, you know, they all have a very specific time span in which they have to live their lives. So um, it's all very, um, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just very, it's a very structured sort of process. Like they have to be very careful and they'll only breed at certain times. They need to be happy, you know, they need to be loved. It's all very, they're very delicate. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Um, What type of lifespan do these moths have? Oh, gosh. So most of them can have anywhere from, you know, 10 to maybe 30 days. Um, and generally they spend from the moment they emerge, they spend that that whole, let's say, 30 days traveling to find their mate to breed and then they, they literally die straight away after. Yeah. So their sole purpose in life is to just get out there, look beautiful and breed. That's it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, uh, you get a lot of, oh, that's so cruel, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. But people don't sort of realize that's their they live an entire life in that 30 days, you know what I mean? We might get 70, 80, 90 years, but that's their whole life. It's just crazy. <laughs> it is. It is. Like you see those big rain moths we get down here. Yeah. Like they come out just before a big rain and the next yeah. morning they're d- dead everywhere. They're all dead. Over the ground. Yeah. Well, because the majority of them will only eat during the caterpillar stage. So then once they become moths, they have mouth parts, but they're not functional. So they don't actually eat. Some will drink. Um, and I think there are a couple that will will eat um but yeah generally it all happens when they're little tiny caterpillars and from then on they just yeah go do their job yeah wow um so what goes into transporting these insects and moths and all of that back to australia um i like to do things i guess the difficult way just to ensure that i'm doing the right thing and i'm following you know procedures and outlaws and you know respect respectful of their laws over there and all those things it's got to be um, I find the more cooperative you are and the more you provide, you know, customs and things like that, the easier it is. Um, but yeah, it's basically once these, you know, specimens come to a certain stage or a certain day when they start to, they really sort of start to go dormant, if that makes sense. Um, generally they're, they're humanely put to sleep, they're treated, um, a lot of the times they're frozen. This will, you know, get off any sort of uh, little microbial bugs, anything like that, any little diseases, just to ensure that, you know, traveling through countries, it's going to get here safe. It's not going to bring anything that's going to harm, you know, our biodiversity and our animals. And um, so, yeah, it's pretty strict. And so he has to provide, and this is every single time I import. So this is a constant thing year round. Um, He has to provide a letter stating where he's from, his facility, the process is used. Um, what insects they are to ensure they're not endangered, protected, anything that's not allowed in our country. Um, so we have a really good understanding with each other what um, is allowed and what isn't, and we're very careful about it. So, yeah, I, th- I find it's just a matter of having someone you trust and um, it should be pretty smooth depending on what you're getting. But, yeah, insects, like I said, um, as long as they're not protected, endangered, 
it's pretty smooth sailing to get them here. And I've been doing it for a while now, so I, I usually get them quite quick. So what type of packaging does is involved to send them over? Because Oh, they're, <laughs> they're wrapped up like little porcelain dolls. Like they arrive in, you know, a big box and then inside will be a container, a really, you know, heavy-duty plastic container, and then inside of that another box. Inside of that we'll have, you know, bunches of cotton wool and paper and Oh, sometimes it just takes me, you know, 10 minutes just to get through the layers because you've got to be careful too, you know. You don't know where one's sort of going to be situated. Um, but, yeah, it's almost just like unwrapping <laughs> all these little flappy gifts. Like, they're awesome, yeah. And they come, you know, they come folded. They come closed. We call it papered. Their wings are completely closed. So I don't actually get to see what they look like, you know, on their forefront until I rehydrate them. So it's exciting. So what – what um entails rehydrating them and pinning them out and um so there's a couple of different methods generally yeah so rehydrating um generally i'll use a hot water method there are a couple of different ones that people use but it's all just you know personal preference and what better for you um i sometimes will inject them um in the abdomen with hot water and this sort of just gives them a more full appearance um you know so like the moths we were talking about those gigantic ones up in Queensland, and you've seen them before, the rain moss, um, they will shrink quite a lot. So, um, yeah, I will inject them sometimes or just sort of dunk them in hot water and they'll almost expand a little bit. Um, and it's just knowing how much to put in and not putting in too much. And, um, yeah, just basically just trying to loosen up them wing joints so that I can set them into a nice, more lifelike position. So does do you have to do any, like, with, um, I don't know what you'd call it, traditional taxidermy with animals and stuff how yeah. they repaint them do you have to repaint them or put any color back into them or yeah do they keep their color? yeah sometimes well yeah, that's how you can always sort of tell a you know a good quality specimen or what we call an a1 specimen from a lower quality one so if they're not happy in you know their life it shows in their death and it really does so you know people get a lot of insects that have been you know uh mass bred overseas and it's very easy to get them here but they notice the colours aren't vibrant, um, you know, they'll have a lot of damage, they have some tears to their wings, and that's solely because they, have, you know, haven't been cared for properly in life. They've either been, you know, taken out of the wild and it's been stressful for them and, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors. But you can, yeah, you can really, really tell a difference. But sometimes I will have to, you know, repaint the body. Um, very rarely will I have to do anything to the wings unless it's, you know, um, glue up a little seam that might have split or, you know, sometimes they have little splits, but some people like them like that as well. So it really just depends on on what on what I'm doing with them really. Yeah. So and how I'm displaying them. What type of painting are you you're doing on them? Is it like airbrush work? Is it Nah gosh, no. I just use a little teeny tiny little paintbrush. It's like, you know, two little fibers tiny. Um and it's just because they have hairs, they're covered in hairs. So if you saturate it too much, you can see the paint. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, I just, I, it's funny because I have terribly shaky hands, extremely shaky <laughs> hands, but this has taught me to calm it down, you know, while I do it. So not only is it, you know, my job, but it's also like it helps me relax, which I think is awesome. And that's why a lot of people do it as well. But, um, no, yeah, just a little tiny paintbrush with the tiniest little bits of paint and I just sort of just dab it on there until I'm satisfied that it looks, you know, um, even and and I'm happy with it, yeah. I could definitely see it being very artistic, like you're seeing more and more women getting into it and it's 
they're putting more of an artist twist into it and a female touch, especially like with yeah. traditional taxidermy. Like the the rate of females getting into it is just insane. It's awesome, but it's- oh, absolutely. And I, I think I think it's just one of those things. It's like you know that they say women have the maternal. You know, they're just naturally mothers. You know, women. And I think it's almost very similar when it comes to insects. Like I just find the way females will place the insects with the backgrounds and things like that. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. There are some absolutely unbelievable men that do entomology, like crazy things that they do with them. And I couldn't even fathom doing it myself. <laughs> so it's just really depends on what, what you like and what your, I don't know where your skill sets are. So with the type of taxidermy and entomology and nature pre- preservation you do, what, so when people think taxidermy, they think of yeah. mounting animal heads yes. on on a form, gluing it and all of that stuff. So describe yeah. what your version of taxidermy is. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, exactly. People naturally assume that I, um, I do the skinning and I do the tanning and mounting and all of that. Um, so taxidermy isn't just, you know, refined to that one specific uh type you know um so it's really the preservation of of an animal of their exterior um you know preservation that's basically it so i while i don't do mounts i do cleaning so i macerate you know um skulls and so bull skulls i've done camels um you know i get a lot of tiny things i get cats you know just really whatever i sort of come across or if someone you know and you try and make friends sort of in the local area you know you make friends with farmers and you help them out and you help each other out things like that um, you know, there's always ways to acquire things sustainably and um, ethically, I, I think. Like, everyone's ethics are different, but, you know, like I said, it's just a person-to-person basis. But, um, yeah, so I just – I do maceration as well, so I will clean skulls for, you know, display. Um, I'll also, you know, just clean animals that people have maybe gotten on a hunt, things like that, which you know all <laughs> well and true about. Yep. Um yeah, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't do so all that sort of stuff. I always refer to Romana, who I'm sure you know from Fox Hollow Taxidermy. She's amazing. Yep, she does the most incredible deer. Like I don't know if you saw her vampire deer, but it was just absurd and no, the hours she put into that. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, by vampire deer. I'm thinking you. Sam- I think it was a sambar, and yep. it, it just had fangs, these huge fangs, and it was just gorgeous. Like, yeah, wow. You know, yeah, never seen anything like it. So cool, but yeah, like I said, everyone has their niche, um, and that just isn't mine i'm more at i get the satisfaction from you know cleaning them from you know whatever state or condition they've come in in and they turn into something beautiful that someone can keep so you know ha- forever so how do you what's your cleaning process for skulls and bones and well it really depends on how they come in like i, I very rarely get things in that still have you know a face or have flesh in needing a fleshing or anything like that very rarely um it's usually something small but yeah, it's just a, it depends on the weather. Like I'm always hanging for summer. It's my favorite time because you want that water a bit warm, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure this is the people like if these people listening that are you know they're gonna think this is pretty gross, but you know it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of getting temperature right and gently getting off whatever tissue remains on the specimen. Um, you know, some people will just put them. They call it, a lot of people call them stink pots. They'll you know go out hunting. They'll you know take whatever whatever it is they want to keep and chuck it in a pot, fill it with water, forget about it. And this is a very effective method. It just takes a bit longer and it's a bit smelly. Yep, um, I whereas I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do do that. 
Um, yeah, whereas I use a couple more like chemical methods just to ensure everything's clean enough to be in a home so that it's not going to leak, things like that. So I'll use ammonia, I use different types of bleach, you know, what like I ensure it's gentle enough, it's not gonna damage the skulls. Um but yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty simple once you get going and you figure out what different animals require different times or different, you know, different products to clean them or degrease them, like dingoes took oh, dingoes take forever whereas you know a goat might not take as long like it's just it just really depends on where the animals come from what they eat and what they yeah so many factors but you sort of just get into a a groove with what you what you use and products that you like to use so going on with skulls and antlers you went into it a little bit how do you acquire the skulls and antlers and stuff you work with so you already covered like farmers and some hunters and that what about your um like your roe deer and stuff that you're getting from overseas? Yeah. So initially I was just getting, you know, Australian species. I was just getting, um, I was getting a lot of fallow and a lot of red deer. And obviously that's not always, they're not always readily available. And it's not something that I would, it's not something I encourage people to say, you need to go and get this so you can sell it. You know (laughs) what I mean? It's something you wait until it's available. That's how I feel about things. I will wait until something's there. If it comes up, awesome, you know? Um, But obviously that doesn't, pay the bills either so you sort of got to expand a bit so I started looking into importing and I sort of just dove head first and just started importing as much as I possibly could um you know these would come from almost like what we have here commercial meat factories but you know their own over in Europe um so there'll be you know there's contract hunters what they would call pest control um you know people who what you know a lot of you guys do go out and have to um and have to what's the words they have to yeah go out and assist you know assist and and drop numbers because you know what it's like yeah so um the antlers that i import i do get so roe deer antler um capriolas capriolas everyone seems to know them by that um and they're a really tiny little you know i i don't think they get much heavier than you know 15 20 kilos they're quite small um and they have a really bizarre variation in their antler you never know what you're going to get sometimes they curl sometimes they split um and they just have this really crazy growth about their antler i'm not sure what makes them like that but they're yeah really diverse but they drop them i believe they drop them a lot more commonly than you know larger deer so they're easily acquired overseas a lot of people collect them they'll go out antler hunting um and then there's you know pest control hunters and people who have to do culling on land and things like that. But it's, yeah, they're a predominant meat animal over in Europe. Um, so there's, you know, that's what we have left over and should always utilise what is left over and not, you know, just dispose of things. So what countries in Europe are you acquiring these roe deer from? Oh, I've, I've got a couple of different ones. Um, I get a lot from the Netherlands. Um, I have, you know friends over there same as with over in Italy I've developed partnerships with these people over years and you know um we help each other a lot getting things in and out and if they want something specific from here and you know vice versa um so yeah I get I do Netherlands I think I've I do business in Serbia um where else oh gosh there's so many you forget the names of them and because it's very difficult you know that sort of interaction with people that don't speak English so sometimes it can take quite a while (laughs) No, that that's to awesome get, that you get to make all these connections of all all these other other countries that you probably would never have contact with if it wasn't for what no. you do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you do, you, you learn about these people and and they're just like us, you know, they've all got families and they're trying to provide and and um, what might be extremely common over there is, you know, a bit taboo here. Like people have different opinions about things, but we all have common ground and, you know, you just you just really get to know um, who you're working with and you trust them. And it's, yeah, it's so important to trust people when you do importing because it's so dangerous as well. Yes. So dangerous. You can, you know, the risk is huge with importing. Yeah, with all the biosecurity risks and stuff. So coming... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Coming through customs, you know, just say they find mites or bugs or too yep. much hair or a bit of flesh. What What's the process then with customs? Oh, so I think it uh, wasn't my most recent row shipment, but the, probably the one before, I think it was last year, um, you know, I'd been waiting and waiting on this to arrive and it said it had been, you know, in Sydney and... Um, Eventually, probably a week or two had passed, I got a letter in the mail that notified me um, that there was, you know, still organic matter remaining on some of the antler. So it was basically just a real small amount of dried hide around like the pedestal base of the antler. Um, this, I guess I got unlucky generally, you know, I've, I've seen people have got insects in with their <laughs> imports and things like that. So it really just depends on how thorough you know, the customs officer is and, and absolutely they should be because we shouldn't risk that. Um, but yeah, so I got unlucky and um, it's basically you pay to have treatment, which is like a gamma ray treatment. It's like a heat blast. Um, insects can't can't handle it. So they just get destroyed. Um, it's just not even worth paying for it, it destroys them. Um, but That's yeah, so it goes through a treatment that basically guarantees that there's nothing organic left on the box so yeah you pay for it based on weight usually um otherwise it just gets destroyed that's pretty much it yeah crazy it'd be um definitely hard dealing with with customs if, if yeah and, and, and i find the difficult thing is um there's not many people that know all the ins and outs because there's so much to know you know like all the indexes are updated constantly and regulations are constantly changing and if someone does something wrong then things get stricter and yeah it's really hard and it's really easy to get deterred from doing it just because you do have failures when you import but it depends on what you're importing as well like i said if you do it for a while they they sort of learn who you are and they know okay they're getting this consistently and That's this good. is where it's coming from and if you've got your paperwork in order and you know you can say this is where i get it this is how it's acquired this is how it's treated generally you're going to speed through pretty quick you just need to be honest that's is, all is there much like if something goes wrong is there chances of getting fined importing this stuff in or oh yeah absolutely i've had a couple of fines i usually expect a fine um <laughs> generally just because you just don't know you just don't know and the sooner you just you know pay these things they're going to get to you safely and quickly because you know the longer you delay them they sit around they get yeah damaged they you know things happen to these boxes you know they don't just sit there and look pretty until they're ready to go these people want them out so um you know if you're getting a fine usually it's you know thirty dollars fifty dollars depends what it depends on what you've um brought in and what needs to be treated so yeah you might get you know a thirty dollar fine and then you have to pay your treatment fee which will be x amount times the weight That's things like that so it really just depends yeah for that that's really not too bad for it being something government and let alone federal as well like you would think i agree it, it i think it's be... quite i think it's pretty i think it's pretty lenient considering and, and especially because animal products as well they have to be very thorough about it so um yeah i think the process is pretty good considering but That's having good. said that 
that's just importing animals that aren't um, sighted animals. They're not on the, you know, endangered species list. They're not anything like that. But that because that's a whole nother different, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's a whole nother different ball game when you get to we'll those jump into types that, of animals. that one soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try and cover, oh, I'm cover it a little going bit. Going ahead, am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what's the sustainability like when you're collecting and acquiring these insects and antlers and like what what do you do to make sure that you're getting it from a, a sustainable source that's not doing well, like dodgy said, it's stuff? Just, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, it's just a matter of doing it, doing your research. You know, I think um, this day and age, especially with social media and technology, it's so easy to get scammed, and a majority of the time you're not talking to who you think you're talking to. So you just got to be a little bit switched on, you know, and, and talk to people first. If you can, you know, um, get a look at their profiles or, you know, their Instagrams or whatever and get a gauge for, okay, they've been on here for a while. They got pictures that, you know, they're real. You can, you can tell, you, you usually can tell the real from the fakes. They are getting better though. But, um, yeah, it's just a matter of developing a relationship, um, to make sure that you know exactly where your product's coming from. So for example, um, I did business with someone in Hungary um, who breeds his own. They're a meat sheep over there. Um, it's the Raka, the big spiral horn sheep. Yep. Um, you would have seen them. I've I've had skulls of them, and I have a mount as well. I think they're just beautiful. But um, so they're actually the meat sheep over there, just like you know a lamb would be here for us. So um, rather than you know putting them through the process of meat processing, um, rather than just disposing of of the head and the antlers, you know, this person can further feed his family by, you know, um, doing a little bit of extra work on them and getting them ready to, to sell. Um, and you know, if they didn't do that, these things would just be buried and that would be the end of it, you know? Um, so at least in this respect with them, you know, utilizing what is left over and it's not just skulls and antlers, it's, you know, if they're not using hooves, if, you know, it could be anything. Um, everyone sort of has a, a purpose for something and everything has a place and, yeah, people just find ways to um, to utilize what's left over. Yeah, it's it's crazy, especially the last I don't know, probably five five ish years. How much is blown up for people collecting skulls and antlers? It's unbelievable. And yeah, like you know, it's- I've had my neighbors ask me for you know, oh, can we have a skull? Can we have antlers? Can we have a horn? We yeah. just want want to hang one in the house or a friend wants one. Do you have any spare? Do you find them? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. for for someone like me, it's a bit different because if I find something, I'm finding it and it's like a memory for me. So to give it away yeah. is, it is hard for me to do. The same as if I shoot something like a, a deer or a goat, it's hard for me then to give that, that skull away because it, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it is those memories, you know. No, I, I totally understand. I have the worst attachment issues to my <laughs> items. Like I, you know, because I get a lot of antiques. I, I, I get in a lot of, you know, antiques and things that are, some things are hundreds of years old. Um, I have a book. It's actually the Cyclopedia of Natural History and there are actually species of animal in this book that I've never heard of, you know, things that were already That's extinct nuts. before our time, just crazy things that you can get, you know, um, in the way of antiques. And I really find it hard to part with them. So I have a steadily growing collection of, you know, really old things and antlers and skulls. And it's very hard to part with some things, especially when they come with a story, you know, in a background. Yeah. You send some pretty cool photos through every now and again, like you sent a, um, an antler pipe through um yes and then 
was an antler lighter or something? Yeah, yeah, so it was an original penguin lighter um, carved, yeah, deer antler. It was amazing. Red deer antler, it's huge. Yeah, it, <laughs> and it's it got, you know, massive. the original mechanisms, they're brass, they're beautiful. Like I just love all the old, you know, components and the old craftsmanship. It's like and, a wick lighter, you know, Who thinks it? to do those things these days? Nobody because we don't need to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We have so much accessibility to just go buy something. Buy it online, go to the shops and buy it rather than actually get our hands dirty and make something. But it's just, yeah, so to find them is just so special and I just don't ever want to give them away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 pipe and antler were, were pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to the the um, CITES animals. Yes. What type of... Um, paperwork do you have to do and um how how do you find out what class of CITES they are and okay so I know everyone's regulations are different they vary state to state so in here specifically in New South Wales I initially had to acquire a hobbyist license to practice taxidermy and that was to allow me to you know basically collect natives um collect things off the road if i if i chose to do so um have to keep log books things like that so i i was i probably had that license for a year and a, a little bit maybe a year and a half um and then i you know started doing all the cleaning and learning the processes and um basically there's a huge index of you know sites animals and what you can and can't do and what's allowed what's not allowed and the <laughs> I couldn't even tell you how many pages it is. It's just unbelievable. Um, essential if you want to do it, but just not for one normal person to do. You've got to be a bit of a freak to get through that whole thing. But it's there. Um, anyone can access it to see, you know, what animals you can um, safely import over or, you know, anything that's not um, allowed and things like that. But, yeah, it's, it's very specific and it's not something that I generally delve into. So, I, like I said, I've got – Many co-workers around me who deal directly and specifically with sites, animals, protected species, endangered, they get lions, they get bears, you know. Um, I know in America specifically it can be quite difficult to get some things in because of the licensing that you need and that they need and just so many loopholes, so many things, you just have to know a lot. So, um, yeah, it's not really something that I've delved into. And like I said, if, if people are after a specific um, species, uh, you know, um, maybe one that's endangered or protected, um, I will refer them on to someone who knows much more what they're talking about and has experience because there are separate licenses and um, things required in order to get them in. And, yeah, it's 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 so much. <laughs> and you got another thing, I think you have to have a bit of a niche for it to do it. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, the sites list is basically to um, regulate trade on endangered and critically endangered animals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the sites is basically there to protect our animals, to protect, you know, our natives um, as well as everyone else's, you know, countries. It, something as small as a bumblebee getting in from another country could destroy our entire ecosystem, you know, little things like that that people don't realise. And um, that's where, you know, the insects come into it again. Insects make up 75% of our entire animal population. Like that is huge. Um, so like – yeah, it's just something to to be thought about. They do it for a reason. It's not just to be jerks. It's not just to be like, no, you can't have that because it's pretty and it's not something that we have here. It's entirely to protect what we're trying to, you know, preserve here. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people think it's all just crap and it's all just bullshit and it's just, you know, you know, it's a hundred and so pages of 
a bullshit. But no, if you actually look at it, it will tell you exactly when this animal was declared, you know, vulnerable. And then when it became endangered and then, you know, the threat and, you know, it gives you estimations of timeframes and, you know, everything that you could possibly want to know about a species is in those sites lists. So it's really, really interesting, especially for someone starting out in taxidermy or, you know, if they want to get more into exotic animals and things like that, it's a really interesting index to have just to refer to if you want to know something. It's really, yeah, really interesting. There's some cool animals on on the sites list. Um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, off-cuff question. Um, yeah. Normally, I ask what's the top five dream animals to hunt or top drop five um, yeah. fish to catch. What would be your top five skulls to have or your top five oh. insects to own just for your own collection? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, Zach, the thing about that is when I become, you know, enamoured with something, I need it. <laughs> I I sort of just – once I want um, something specific and I'm <laughs> like, okay, I just need to go and get it or I'm, I'm going to get over it sort of thing. And this is where my obsession with the Jacob's sheep have come in. You know all about my Jacob's yep. sheep. I love them. They're polystyrate. They have four horns usually. They can have anywhere up to six horns. Um, and they're just an absolutely incredible – beast of a breed and i just think they're beautiful but they also come with an awesome story um i won't go too far into it basically um the sheep they are believed to be in the book of um genesis so they sort of have a religious um religious thing attached to them i myself am not religious but i think the story is awesome um whether it's you know myth or or real like whatever it is i just think it's really cool and um i have books relating to them and they you know, things from also have like a satanic oh yeah they too. look evil they look so evil there's yeah the jacob sheep are piebald generally so they're white with black spots um and they have these beautiful usually blonde sort of horn horns and then there's another another breed which is in um i think it's might be ireland maybe um but there's a hebridian sheep and they are just black pure black black horns and they just look like the devil and they're just beautiful and that's, that's cool. something i haven't been able to get so that would definitely be i've already got the jacobs so if my next one would definitely be a hybridian skull for sure um i think that'd be awesome to just scare anyone who comes you know people come in and <laughs> see the things i've got it freaks them out so imagine coming in and seeing would a you, big black would you prefer ram you know <laughs> taxidermied or or like a european oh, european man i'd need one of each i'd need one of each so <laughs> I would because it's so it's so different seeing, you know, like some of the Jacobs that I have two stunning Jacobs here. One is actually from a zoo um, in the Netherlands who I acquired when I was very first starting out and he is just my pride and joy. Like he's just beautiful, you know, and it's more like I've said about the insects. It's the fact that I would never really have the opportunity to see these in real life. Like there are some multi-horned sheep breeders in Australia, but not really accessible within, you know, where I am. So I can't just go and, you know, visit them and pat them and, you know, it's very special. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think you'd have to have one of each if it's a supreme collector item, you know, like (laughs) I have with the Raka, like I've got a mounted Raka and he's got the cutest, creepiest little face and, you know, I just think you're gorgeous, you know, it just makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) So there's two down, three more. If, oh, if you man. had unlimited money. Yeah, so money. Jacob's a Hebridean. I would love a Pierre David's deer skull. They are they are a trippy looking deer. Absolutely beautiful. And, um, yeah, my girlfriend in the Netherlands is a avid deer. Like, oh, this I, I've told you all about this girl. She's just um, – her life is devoted to, to deer. She yeah, you've sent, loves sent them, photos. You know, um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had that disagreement about the brown deer skull. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a good one, but um, <laughs> but um, yeah. She, her collection is just wild and, and just stunning, and she has one. And ever since I've seen it, and because you know, um, the name David is very special in my family. It's um, yeah. my son's name and my dad, and we, you know, it's sort of a running line. So I was, um, I just feel like it'd be something to have, you know, in my collection. But the chances of getting one like that would either be very unlikely or very costly. So yeah, it's, I seem to. I like to wait around sometimes, and if a, things are meant to be, they'll pop up. They have a heap of them in Texas. I actually know a guy in, I think he's in Louisiana, who because um, they have some farms over in Louisiana too. I think he's shot one as well. I got him on Facebook somewhere. But they they basically look yeah. like a red deer for people that don't know who are listening. They basically look like a red deer, but backwards antlers. Like instead of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's they're trippy. It's just incredible. Yeah, they're cool. And, you know, there's some that you think are real creepy looking, like, you know, the heart beast. And I think it's the Blesbok you think are weird looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The heart beast. Um, yeah, the heart beast. But, uh, you know, I think they all, they're all special in their own way. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. But we definitely have preferences. People definitely have preferences. Um, I think another, okay, I've got another one actually would, um, would be an Agali, the giant ram. Yeah. That would be an absolute, yeah, I would love to have an Argali, but I believe they are on, you know, vulnerable status. So another thing, and they're huge. So it's just very difficult to, to import. Um, so that would definitely be. It seems like a lot of your list is sheep species. Why Why sheep species? <laughs> I never really, I don't know. I've never really noticed that. Um because generally I don't – it's going to sound terrible, but, like, sheep aren't my favourite thing in the world, you know. I, I'm a dog I'm a dog person, you know. I love dogs. Like, dogs are everything. Yeah, um, for you. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what it is about sheep. I must just be that attraction to the look, I think. It's that satanic um, vibe that sheep skulls It's that and goat vibe, skulls. yeah. It's, that, it's, the, it's the horns. Like, it's just incredible how they grow like that. And, and with the Argali, they get a full, almost, you know, perfect – revolutionary revolutionary horn curl like imagine carrying that much weight around in your head like it's just so impressive and and the jacob skull one of them that i have here he was very old and you can tell and this is what i love about them you can tell just based off the damage to his skull how thick his skull is like this skull would have to weigh six seven kilos it's huge it's so heavy like (laughs) it's so heavy it's ridiculous and it's thick you know, you could probably hit it with a hammer and it, nothing would happen to it. And you can see where bone has been damaged from ruts and fighting and it's regrown and thickened and it's just incredible. And um, I don't know, maybe I think that's what I like about them. They're just rough and tough and they're just not really scared of anything. I don't yeah. know. I just like them. Well, you watch those big horn sheep fight in, in North America and they just yeah. go, they go hard. They hit each other so... Oh, God, yeah. And their heads are just, yeah. just yeah, just so strong. It's unbelievable. And there's some of them are like a two-litre Coke bottle at the base. Like yeah. they're just carrying yeah. that much weight. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's just, it's just crazy. I yeah. definitely think... But yeah, I guess it's just that. Mouflon would be the prettiest sheep species that I can think of off the top of my head. I have I have had mouflon in. I think um yeah, their skulls are absolutely beautiful, but as an as a, you know, living animal obviously they're beautiful. They have the most beautiful colors and coat and they, do. they make absolutely stunning mounts and yeah, I, I don't think they're as um they don't get as much credit as they as they deserve. I think they're a really incredible species. Um and usually you'll say to someone on oh, mouflon they have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> like a, there's so many species out there. We have 
no idea about and you know i think we're really um we're really missing out not not having more access you know even if it was like you know um a conservation facility or a zoo or somewhere that you can or even a museum with pictures or or taxidermy mounts where you can go and see um you know creatures that are in other countries and like yeah because we just don't we got no idea like there's so much out there well you just look at that um that saga antelope that we've spoken about before it looks like it's got yeah. the, the flaccid dick on its face <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the anteater yeah, yeah. it's fucking it's weird that thing. <laughs> like I, I i shared it on instagram when we're having that i know i know <laughs> and everyone's know. like is that a real animal like all these people like what yeah. is that i've never seen that before is that is that real <laughs> Is that something out of yeah, Star you Wars? Know what, you know what I reckon is even creepier? Is it the dibber tag? they got those long, long necks and these tiny little little creepy faces. Like yeah. there's so many weird <laughs> animals out there. Uh, yeah, no. There's... But it's just funny. It's funny to see uh, people's views. Like some people will think, oh, my God, that is adorable and so weird and cute. And other people are just absolutely repulsed by it. Like it just depends on what sort of person you are, I guess. <laughs> exactly. So – have you faced much pushback from like greenie types and vegan types and all of that with yeah. what you do? Yeah, yeah, man, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I used to be last year was quite, um, you know, obviously with COVID constantly up and down, and we've just suffered lockdowns, you know, followed by flooding and rain, and it's just yeah. it never ends here. But um, you know, you get on with it. But yeah, at a point when it was. Um, you know, good weather and things were good. I was doing a lot of market trading. So just a lot of, you know, Sunday events or, you know, if they had something on like Halloween or whatever, just, you know, just try and get out there a bit into the community. I live in a bit of a, um, it's a pretty, how do I say without sounding? (laughs) Um, It's a pretty um, conventional, like, you know, not upper class, but it's just probably middle class. It's just, you know, people aren't, they don't like seeing what I do basically. <laughs> um, it's taken, it's taken a little while to sort of get people to warm up to me, but you know, people know me. I'm that weird purple headed girl. That's at the markets with skulls. That's, you know, <laughs> that's how people know me. But yeah, that's that last year I, I did a lot of markets and very rarely would I have people say things that were negative or it was more of just, you know, a curiosity and, um, wanting a bit of education on certain things and but every now and then you'll get, you know, a real good one right out the lolly bag. And, <laughs> you know, I, I've had one person just straight up, you know, walk straight up to me and just say, this is disgusting, like absolutely disgusted with me. Um, and, you know, I, I was absolutely not rude. I just said, I'm sorry you feel that way. You know, what's, what's the problem? And, um, this has happened to quite a few, um, other taxidermists and things that I know. And, you know, this, this, this person, asked me why would there be any need to even kill animals when, you know, meat is grown now. (laughs) And I had this sort of, you know, like I didn't know if I wanted to giggle and be like, you're joking, you know what I mean? Like, you're joking. (laughs) But no, this person genuinely believed, and I think it's because we don't have to think when we go to the supermarkets, we just pick it off a shelf. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's very accessible. It's packaged. It's pretty. We don't have to think about it. And I think – um. Some people are very misconstrued by what we're told, you know, in the media and things like that. Yeah. Um, and But, yeah, this this person had a very firm belief that animals don't need to be used for meat anymore. And and, and that was a big shocker for me because I just, I just thought, wow, I wonder how many people genuinely, you know, believe that. Like, yeah, there is plant-based what they call meats in the vegan section and all that. Um, but 
yeah, I just it, that just blew my mind. And but yeah, no, I do. I've I've gotten comments like you know it's disgusting, and while people are eating meat, <laughs> telling me it's <laughs> disgusting what I do, things like that. And but no, generally it, it's it's pretty good. But I think it's um it depends on your area and where you are. Like I went probably forty five minutes away from home to a to a different area, and oh. It was horrendous, you know, the things these people were saying to me. Like, no, it was, you know, I've I got pretty thick skin and I'll do my best to just get on with it. Not everyone's going to have the same opinion and that's absolutely fine. But um, some people do take it a little bit too far, you know, just with comments and um, the assumption that I'm out slaughtering animals for their skulls and things of that nature. And, you know, I, I've had a woman come up and say, oh, you go out and catch these insects, you know, it's so wrong. And and even with me, you know, very politely trying to explain, no, no, this is how I get them. And, you know, I, I have papers always on my um, displays so they can read, they can That's see cool. the man himself who breeds them for me. And um, everything is out there in the open, total transparency. I don't bullshit. Um, you know, if something has come to me because it was, it was put down, you know, for example, a bull that's too aggressive on the farm, they've had to shoot it. You know, I don't make up some story like, oh, this and this. No, this is what happened and this was his life and this is how his life ended yeah. and this is what I'm doing now to try and, you know, give him some sort of um, recognition at the end, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's but all like in- I said, people don't get that, so. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. Um, like I follow a bunch of the the um, skull and bone collecting pages and it, it's surprising there seems to be like a a trend of like, vegan greeny types yep. joining those absolutely. groups to absolutely because i think i think a lot of it is you know osteology a lot of people are more curious about you know the animal like their skeletons like things a lot of people have that curiosity but i have met actually quite a few taxidermists that are either vegetarian or vegan and they just don't it's more the fact that they don't feel the need to push their their beliefs or what they they do on others that makes them as successful at their job. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've seen seen people advertising with like um like these greeny vegan type taxidermists that you know yeah. we don't work with anything that's actually hunted that has to die naturally. You know, we only <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of a meme right now that you shared, and it's like you must only eat animals that have committed suicide. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I think of when people, you know, give me shit about my job or, you know, eating meat or, or whatever. Um, people, I don't think people realize just how much, you know, animals and animal products are still utilized in everyday life, in daily life. Like we put, you know, animal product in our skin, we wear it, we eat it, we put it in our hair. Um, you know, it's in so many things that we don't realize. Um, so I always think to myself, you know, if you if if you're going to be judging someone based on what they're, you know, what they're doing or what they what they believe in, you really have to consider what you're doing as well because you may not even know it. Like, you know, you'll be wearing your leather shoes and people don't think that's come from a cow. You know, things like that. Like people just have that disconnect. It's a total disconnect from um reality. From what we from reality. Yeah, absolutely because you know, I think I've seen one I can't remember for the life of me the name of this show, but it was on Foxtel and I watched it years and years and years ago and, and, you know, I cried my way through it, but it was very um, eye-opening and it's something that I would, you know, I'd probably start watching television again if they put more like this on. But basically it was they attended a slaughterhouse. This was in Australia, I think, um, and they wanted to show two groups, two specific groups of people what it was like, 
you know, animals going through a slaughterhouse and how they get their meat. So there was one one side that didn't eat meat at all, vegans, vegetarians, and then there was the other side who were full-blown meat eaters. Um, and at the end of this, both sides were bawling their eyes out just because of that disconnect of not realising where our food comes from and not knowing the difference between commercial meat food and hunted food, you know, yeah. obviously all about that. But, um, yeah, I – yeah, I definitely – I don't get it as often anymore, like the people with the comments. But, yeah, it, it definitely still comes. I got a message a week ago. Um, it was a picture of you. <laughs> a picture that I'd shared of you with a deer and, oh, the abuse, mate. <laughs> it was just hurling abuse. And I just – I didn't I didn't respond, obviously, because there's no point. It, it, um, it probably wasn't, wasn't because of the dead deer. It was just my ugly mug triggered someone. Just because of your face, yeah. It just triggered something and it just set them off. But, yeah, they were I have that yeah, they were not happy. They were not happy. And, and that's fine. Like I said, everyone is entitled to to their opinion. And as long as you're doing the right thing and you're not hurting the animals and you're not hurting people, then I don't see, yeah, I don't see a problem with, with, with what I do or what many others do. And it, like you keep saying, it's just getting more and more popular, I think. People are starting to really – and now I don't know whether that's a good thing. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to create a higher demand for animals, you know, animal parts. I hope not. Well, that's um, that's the good thing about like antlers in specific is the deer drops them every year, so it they is drop a them, very exactly. sustainable thing that you can yes. keep selling because there's going to as long as there's deer, there's going to be antlers every year. Exactly. And exactly, like, and, just, and that's another that's another thing that people don't realize how much you know even antler is utilized in. It's in so many different you know animal products, feeding products, um, you know because it's just all keratin. Like obviously everyone will probably go to a pet store and pick up deer antler for their big dog without even thinking about yeah. it. You know what I mean? They're just like, oh, this is big tough, big tough chew thing for my dog, and yeah, that's that's where it's come from. You know, I think if we like thought more about what we're you know doing every day or buying or looking at we'd we'd, we'd realize how much animals are utilized you know in everyday life well for the longest time and uh, they probably still do a lot of artificial colors and natural colors come from insects for yep. foods and stuff lollies and drinks and yeah like a lot of the reds all comes from insects. yeah confectioneries yep. yeah it's it's crazy <laughs> yep. when you when it you is. first find out that fact, people oh, don't yeah. believe you. But <laughs> oh god, no! Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, I think I think if um if we sat down and and actually looked at I don't know, just an example. If we went if we went to the supermarket and just looked at all these, and we would probably find that way back on that process line, it started at some sort of animal product. Do you know what I mean? Whether they use exactly. the gelatin or, or or it could be anything. But it's so. Yeah, it's so much more commonplace than people think it is. And like I said, it's because of that disconnect. We don't have to think about it. Exactly. But that's what makes hunting special and why I have such an interest in it. <laughs> yeah, well, when we first started talking, you had nonstop um, questions about hunting and what my thoughts on were on hunting yeah. Africa and hunting like the big yeah. five and all of that. And we had um, lengthy discussions about all yeah. of that stuff. And I sent you a few links and articles and Yep. Yep. You really got the ball rolling on my little fascination. <laughs> no, it's different. It's different reading things online and then actually conversing with someone about not only what they do, but a passion. And if anyone is passionate about it, it's you. So 
you know, I've always been so grateful to have <laughs> to have that, you know, I can always come to you if I have a question, <laughs> you know, especially about an animal that I don't know about or not one that I know you've gone out and hunted or you've traveled to hunt or, yeah. you know, it's just, it's amazing having those sort of resources available. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I've, I'm constantly um, looking up, well, even finding out new new species from what you post, you'll post, post something or someone yeah. else will post something and I'll be like, oh. Got to go look this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, so interesting. It's never ending. Yeah, one of those videos I sent you at the start was on trophy hunting Africa. It was like a little cartoon clip. Yes. And it's, it's my yes. most, most oh, used. Zach, yes. That is my absolute go-to now. Like, I, I love that that video. The way they explain it, the sarcasm in it, you know, just it's very real and, you know, it's very honest and it just makes so much sense. It, it still you know, makes hunters look a little bit dickish, but it oh god, gets yeah, the, it's dicky the- ass. But <laughs> it, it gets the point across. Uh, you know what I mean? Like if you went to a cinema, so think about. Let's just say John Wick comes out. I will be in gold class. Let me tell you. But <laughs> as soon as let's just say John Wick comes out and the theater is packed, if they put that in the credit or in you know the start, start. when everyone's sitting down with their popcorn getting ready, if they put that little dicky film in there, I can guarantee you every single person in that cinema would walk out thinking differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at least a good good half of them, people that are sitting on the the fence. Oh yeah, yeah some so of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> there will always be ones that 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 won't budge. But I think it would definitely change a lot of people's. Um, perspective just on things because I, I say this a lot to people as well, especially when they ask, you know, you know, it's not very good. You're getting all these roe deer in the poor things, but we don't have to live in a country where they're invasive. Yeah. The same with people who have bears, who have wolves, who have panthers, you know, we don't have to. So what, what do we deal with? We deal with feral cats and God, that sucks. You know, like I got a lot of friends in America who say, Oh my gosh, it's horrific seeing your cat problem over in Australia. And it is, but we are lucky if you think about, we don't have bears at our front doors and we don't have, you know, I guess it depends how you look at it. I'd probably prefer bears, but <laughs> but it's just to sort of, you know, give an example, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'd, I'd prefer bears because of the meat I'd prefer and, the, bears. and the rugs. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I know. We've, I think we have a mutual friend and he's always putting up, you know, um, putting up real funny Snapchats and he actually put up one a little while ago, just, you know, just woke up, just walked out the front. There's a deer yeah. just standing out on the road, just out on the road. Hey mate. You know what I mean? Like, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> but here I walk out the front and there's just cats fighting, you know, like it's just such a pandemic. Oh, like we, we have the, we have an abundance of feral animals. It's not just the cats, you know, that's foxes, oh, good, yeah. feral dogs. Yeah multiple deer species. Yeah, but see, you have to be very careful with what words you use when describing these animals. I like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very um, understanding of both sides that they're just doing their thing. They're living their lives. They, you know, um, they're doing what comes naturally to them. And then on the other spectrum, there are farmers and, you know, property owners who are struggling to protect their livestock and their own animals because of this, you know? Um, so it's, it's sort of just that, it, like I keep saying, it all comes down to personal ethics and what people think is right or wrong. But like I say, if, if you don't have to live with it and experience it, then you shouldn't really comment on it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I'm always, I always just try and, and hear it from other people's perspectives, you know, like, like, you know, you'll see people posting camel seasons coming and, you know, dingoes. And, you know, at one stage I got hundreds, I can't even tell you hundreds of dingoes in from, you know, somewhere up in rural Queensland. And at the end of it, you know, they were exhausted and they'd spent, you know, countless sleepless nights, days, you know, trapping or, you know, yeah. trying to get these numbers down because they'd found, 
cattle that were being eaten from the inside out, things like this and things that we don't have to see. So, yeah, like I said, it's very easy to sit on your, you know, on your throne and just be like, that's so cruel. But until you live it and you experience it, you, you, yeah, I really just don't think there's a place for commenting on it. Yeah, exactly. Like there's there's some introduced species that, you know, if I could click my fingers, I'd, I'd make them disappear. But there's there's some that, you know, I wouldn't want Australia to not have them because, you know, these animals have made me and a lot of Australian hunters who they are, you know. Because with our native species, we don't really yeah. have anything to actually hunt. Kangaroos, you're not, you're not actually hunting yeah. them. You're shooting them because they're, they're freaking stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah. you know, deer are pretty smart. No, every, it, yeah, exactly. Like, and, 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 but that's the thing too. It's, it's, I think people have this, um, this idea that hunters are going out purely just to exterminate an animal. You know, it's like a, I just want to go out and kill something. But I don't think they realize that a a lot of the time it's, it's for, it's for a reason. And, you know, it's because of these numbers. And at the same time, if the hunters weren't going out and doing this, numbers would be out of control. People don't see the numbers. They don't see, you know, they, they don't see it. They don't see what goes on. And, you know, you only sort of see when something someone disagrees with going on, like aerial shooting or something like yep. that. You only ever see the bad stuff, but you don't really ever see any credit given to what you're doing for, you know, for our um, ecosystem and for the land and just for, for the animals in general. It is all about the animals at the end of the day. Exactly, yeah. Some some people don't agree with, with the method. I don't – I'm not a massive fan of aerial culling. I just think mm. it's a it's a waste of a resource. But hey, for yeah. someone like you that collects skulls and that, if you can go to a spot that's been aerial culled, you'd be out. You'd have a field day collecting bones and skulls. Oh, and- <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love I love going out and collecting. But of course, like I, I I'm a bit. You know what I'm like. I'm a bit of a sook as well. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's always a matter of you know just sort of take just swallow have a big gulp and just go out and see and see what's there and do the best you can for what you know just so it doesn't get wasted you know what i mean yeah exactly. like but at, at the end of the day a lot of um you know if 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 a farmer a property can you know put these animals if they have to put them down for whatever reason and they have to dispose of them they will go back into earth you know what i mean it's more the um the commercial places that are you know that are mass killing these animals for food or for whatever um it's those ones that waste them. A lot of them will just burn them and, and things like that. And there's just so much we can do them for. People make jewellery, you know, out of bones. And, and and the fact that it's so taboo these days when it's something that sort of shaped being a human, learning how to carve things and create things with what you have around you, like it's just it blows my mind that we're so almost disgusted by these things. Yeah, it's just because people live in cities and they're so out of touch with yeah. nature and reality at the end of yeah, the day. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of being out of touch with reality, what's your um, go-to zombie apocalypse weapon? Oh, so I've listened to every like every single person's choice. So I was like, I hope I get this question. Hey, <laughs> um, look, it's coming. We know it's coming. <laughs> um, well, we've got mon- we got monkeypox now, so surely zombies aren't too oh, far. Oh god. <laughs> It's not. Let's. We don't have enough time to discuss all that. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Look, I'm gonna. I'm a bit old school, but I'm. I'm gonna. I'm only gonna. <laughs> I'm choosing this because I'm a bit dumb as well. So I'm the type. <laughs> I'll drop things. The less I have to carry, the better. So, because I do love The Walking Dead, and I do have one of those like morbid 
you know, <laughs> morbid obsessions with Negan, I'm going to have to say it'll be a bat with some nails. But still <laughs> enough to sort of be, you know, kind of close contact. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go with a Lucille bat. Nice. I think that'd be great. Yeah. It, it would be until you get a few bent nails if the skulls are still a bit hard. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll work. I'll work it out, but it's going to be easier than I'm too short to carry around like a fucking katana or something. I'm too <laughs> short. I'm going to end up hurting myself. Um, guns, you need to constantly, you know, have your bullets and all that shit. And yeah, like I said, I, I don't want to carry much, so I'm just going <laughs> to I'm going to go with a bat, a uh, nailed very, bat. Very nice. Um, yeah, and hopefully I'll be in a crowd that can, you know, protect me as well. <laughs> <laughs> So how do you see the public views on hunting and collecting animal parts? I know we touched a little bit on that, but Yeah. Um it's not it's not anywhere where I think it should be. Um yeah, I think um uh, I think we don't give enough acknowledgement or credit to animals. So we're very we're, we're a country or I guess we're a world that's very they're very disposable, you know what I mean? Um, people just see them as disposable. Um, but then they see something like hunting or culling and then, you know, they're the guardians of the earth. So <laughs> it, it, it just depends. I think people um, have certain opinions because they're not as educated as as we should be. I don't think we're taught enough in schools, yeah. um, you know, about nature, about wildlife, what we need to do to protect it, how essential it is. You know, if the bees go, um, we're going to have to teach hundreds of mini people to pollinate plants and things like this and just things that you know yeah technology is advancing so take a, but it shouldn't have to you know it shouldn't have to so um yeah just I, the views aren't good <laughs> the views aren't good um you know you mentioned hunting and people link it immediately to poaching um yeah, poaching or and, trophy hunting or trophy hunting exactly and you know god forbid you list something on your website that says trophy and i got them coming for me you know don't come at me that I, I consider them trophies because they're beautiful. Exactly. I don't, you know, yeah, in America or, you know, other countries where they do all that, where it's very specific to what they're hunting for, it's different. But um, here, something like that considered a trophy, it's just, uh, it's my my way of honouring them, I guess. I think they're beautiful. So, yeah, trophy yeah. could be the antlers, it could be your skin, it could be the skull. Yeah. It doesn't have to be big, big antlers. But no, with, absolutely not. When it comes yeah. to like big antlers or big horns, that just shows how healthy the ecosystem is for that animal to get that big. Exactly, like pe- but people, people don't, don't see that. that. People see that was an older, flourishing animal that was, a, you know, he should have lived out his days. They don't see, yeah, no, there's, uh, yeah, like I said, we we need that video to be much more <laughs> readily available, just because exactly. it's so hard to explain it between us. You know what I mean? It's that, like I said, that video was the first thing that really opened up my views on hunting like when we, you and I first started talking uh, I didn't dislike hunters but I had that I had that uh you know that superstition or that idea that they were just poachers exactly. you know because there was always that association between those words and they're so far apart you know now I know they're so far apart from that it's just um it's just crazy but then I always say this to people as well like this you got to think about when it comes to animals and meat and culling and whatever's going on you got to think, are you happy with them being cold in a commercial industry where they're being, you know, maybe taken from their mothers, where they're being possibly tortured? We've had cases of that plenty of times in Australia where they just torture them. Um, uh, or you got to think, is, is that is that more ethical or is, you know, an animal taking a shot and never knowing it's coming? You know, it's that difference and what you're ethically 
okay with. It's it's hard. Exactly. It's so hard. It doesn't matter what you say. You're a shit person, Zach. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we say. You just have to be true to what you're confident in, and you got to. If you can back up, you know, this is why, and because of the population increase, and this is what's happened. Blah blah blah. blah. There's so much information out there. So yeah, I don't know. I think public views aren't great but I think they're getting better. I think they are getting better. Yeah, a lot of the times when I bring up hunting, people will be like, oh, you don't do that trophy hunting, do you? And I'm like, well, no, I break Kinda. it down. I, br- I break it down <laughs> to them and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. I, I didn't see that way. Oh, but you wouldn't go to Africa and shoot a rhino or you wouldn't go to Africa <laughs> and shoot an elephant. I'm like, if I had the money and time, I probably would. <laughs> and then th- their jaws drop. And they're like, yeah. what, what? Why would you do that? And then I, I go into the reasons why. Yeah, we, we and there's take, always incentives behind something. And yeah, what the yeah, mo- yeah. What the money that does. Primary thing in that, exactly. Where the yeah, meat does. That's exactly right. And then I'm like, we don't know. Yeah. I'm like, watch this sometime, and then I'll send them that video that we're talking about. I'll have to post it up on the Instagram. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a little silly, but it's probably my it's my silly, biggest. But you know what? You know what? In this day and age it's probably good for things to be more simplified to because the more complicated things are, the harder it is for people to understand, you know, like exactly. my nephews could understand that video. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's it's simple, it's silly, but it's absolutely honest and to the point. And it makes us realize that we are in a country where we are pretty lucky. So we don't have to, you know, we don't have to pay people to come and maybe cull our largest whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. we've got, because we need to feed our villagers, things like that. Like we're, we're advantaged here. So like I said, it always comes down to not judging unless we live there and we experience it. Like, yeah, the same with hunting with a job. It doesn't matter if, if you disagree with it, that's fine. Just keep it to yourself. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, we're all just doing the best we can out here as long as you're not hurting anyone or, you know, hurting yourself. That's the main thing. So how would you change the public views on hunting hunters and selling dead bits <laughs> yeah um look i think it's not something i push on people and and that's because it's not for everyone it's pretty confronting and like i've said even sometimes i'll get at a bullhead um you know and he'd been put down for whatever reason um sick or whatever but yeah it does it it, it still affects me and it, and it upsets me and that's because i love animals you know it doesn't matter dead or alive they they're important they have a place and there's still so much to learn about them once they die so i guess if I could change the public views or if I could ask people to do something, it would just be be a little more open-minded to things. Um, you know, if you're ever feeling curious or you're bored, you know, jump on and do a little bit of research on history and just the history of animals and how they got us here because it is it is a fact that without animals, humans wouldn't survive. And, and same with insects. If we lose more insects, we're done for. Um, last year we – or maybe it was the year before, but we actually became, as a, as a whole, you know, the world we became responsible for the largest mass extinction since the dinosaurs and that yeah. involved flora and fauna so we are killing animals at such an incredible rate and that's you know why we need all the procedures in place and the sites and the licenses and you know all that good stuff we need it because we need them exactly um so yeah i think i, I would just encourage people to be more open-minded don't be so judgmental and so quick to assume that we're doing something wrong um especially when it comes to hunting you, you talk to someone for five minutes, you can tell what sort of hunter they are, you know? Exactly. Um, but having said that, totally different worlds. The hunters do their thing and then the civilians do their thing and everyone should be happy. But, yeah, everyone should just keep an open mind and be more um, mindful when you're squishing a moth or squishing a bug. Just think of my face. <laughs> <laughs> Try your best not to do it. Um 
because they do. They all they all have a place and um, they deserve a little bit more respect. Yeah, that's that's the thing. People think that hunters hate animals. Yeah, and that's why they they you kill deer them, hunting savage. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, hun- hunters for the most part have a respect for for the animal, for the conservation you know of what? that animal. For and all all of like you on Instagram and you know. Um, Luke and Ilias, and there's a million of you on Instagram that I follow, even expanding over different countries. And if you look close enough at these photos, you can actually see the emotion in all of your faces because <laughs> it's not just going out. And I know it sounds a bit faggy, but it's true. <laughs> um, you can see the way he's looking at the animal, you know. It's, yeah. it's, you can see it's an appreciation and it's a gratefulness that you've gotten out and you've gone. People must just think you go out bang, bang, you're dropping 10, 20 at a time. No, sometimes you're just stalking for days. You know, um, and exactly. you're and you're watching and you're waiting, and like it's amazing to see the process you guys go through. And I think um, if people gave it a bit more of a chance and actually, you know, saw what goes into into it and like why people do it and what their personal reasons for doing it are, they'd probably think a lot differently about it because it's so much more than just going out with a gun. Exactly. So if people have enjoyed what they've heard, they want to check out your work. They want, I don't know, a custom piece. Where can they find yeah. you? How can they? Contact oh guys you. you can come and find me down in sydney no nah. um so yeah i'm on pretty much everything i try and give everything a go but um yeah so if you want to jump on my instagram it's just hey sucker skulls you'll see me holding a giant moth in my hand um uh, facebook is the same just hey sucker skulls i've got a website you pretty much type in hey sucker skulls and it'll take you wherever i am and you know um i love to chat with other like-minded people and I've made some incredible friends via clients and customers. You know, they've just become, uh, yeah, it's hard to sort of find people that love and appreciate what you do. So when you find those people, you grab them. So I've got a really, really awesome and supportive crowd. And if anybody wants to get rid of some skulls or some antlers (laughs) or... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, if you need if you need anything, like I've had people literally come down for trips, you know, to visit family in Sydney, and they'll ask me, "Will you, you know, sort this out for me, clear this for me? I've, you know, got this or this." And you know, I do have people that will specifically travel to come and, you know, have me preserve insects or, you know, um, do a euro mount for them or whatever. And that's yeah, I love that. I really love that because it, it makes me feel like I'm doing something right. And um, I don't know, it's just beautiful seeing where they end up. You know, everyone you know, has a beautiful space on their wall in their home, just in their life for these yeah. pieces. And I love that, you know, it's awesome. Exactly. Well, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate oh, thanks, it. Well, this has been, I love been you, mate. <laughs> this has been in the, the works for a bit now, but we got you I know, for, um, I know. And what are we lucky now? Lucky 13. Lucky 13. Just Fuck yeah. Awesome. I, lo- I love lucky it. Number. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on. It was a, thank you for a having good me. Chat. I appreciate you. And um, no worries. we'll go out with uh, a song, something a bit different from one of I'm my I'm singing, mates. guys. Are you ready? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll turn the mics off so you don't have to go yeah, through that. Yeah, turn them off. Don't, don't put them through that. <laughs> but um, this is a song by Bill Dotson. Put some Jones in it. So let's uh, listen to that as we fade out. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Zach. In my four-wheel drive, she was looking way too fine. Wearing cowboy boots, she had them cut off tubes and said, baby, let's take a ride. Put her boots on my dash, she 
Jones in it, turn it on up. Moonshine filling up my Dixie cup. 